Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year again. Uh, my name is Brian Berger. I have the pleasure of, of speaking this morning. I, I'm one of the pastors here that is uh, overseeing, along with Jeremy Olam, adult discipleship. And so we are mostly, yeah, amen. Uh, those are people from Launchpoint, hopefully. Uh, Jeremy and I spend a lot of time in classrooms with people, in relationships, meeting with small group leaders, and so we don't often come on stage, but we're really a big deal, trust me. Um, So this morning the topic is discipleship, Um, or I think better, when I I looked at you as you were singing and praying for you, the the prayer was freedom, okay? We're going to talk about freedom in Christ and uh, I, I think of the faces that I was seeing and looking at Tim and his bald head. He used to have hair 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, Julie and I came to this church. Julie was my girlfriend back then. She's now my bride. And, um, and I remember a small group I was in with Tim, and it was like six of us misinterpreting the Bible weekly, uh, not being formed, uh, and over the past 20 years through this church, God are, has just changed Julie and I's life. And I, I want to start by saying we are far from complete. I don't want that to sound like, man, we used to struggle. I'm glad those days are over. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, we are more mature spiritually today because of this church and because of the ministry of this church. And I'm just thankful as I see you out there. So uh, spiritual formation is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to start uh, with a prayer. And, and not just for our time now, but for 2018. And so I, I might pause a little bit as we pray. And I want you to fill in that gap with your prayers for this year, okay? And we'll pray together in this time. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts with the desires that you want to place in this church. There's too, many, there's too many issues and too many burdens and, and too many things that you would have your people address and love and serve and move into in our world. We can't pray for all of those at once. And so just put them on the hearts of your people. And we just want to lift those to you. In 2018, God, you'd form us to be a people who have eyes like you and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to move into spaces uh, to imitate your character and to carry your message. Our prayer uh, this morning for this time is that the Holy Spirit would teach us that it would not just be information, but it would be formation. We would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. And again, I just pray for my brothers and sisters for freedom. That comes in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I used the word spiritual maturity when I was talking about the last 20 years of Julie and I being at this church. By the way, if you did the math, I came here when I was 20. It's been 20 years. My wife is now 40 years old. (laughs) I'm still in my 30s, but last week she just turned 40. Um, Don't tell her I mentioned that. 
we used maturity. Now, the Bible uses a lot of different language to talk about kind of the same thing, this formation of a person. Sanctification, you might have heard of. This is the process that God uses from taking us as a broken human being and setting us apart to be holy, to be like God, to um, align with his design for humanity. Spiritual growth is another word that's used. Godliness, growing in godliness. This is a kind of a, a really easy one. Growing in the likeness of Christ. So what does it look like to be spiritually mature? Is it to read your Bible a lot? Is that spiritual maturity? Maybe. Or maybe that's a means to an end. And we read the scriptures and we pray so that God would change us to be like Jesus. I want uh, to look at, at the onset of this conversation at Romans 8, 28, and 29. Now, you will often see Romans 8, 28 used a lot. In fact, this is like one of those tattoo verses, right? Don't, don't, make, don't do it a tattoo. Young people, there's, now the rest of the time they're doodling a design, a Rom, Romans 8, 28. Don't do it. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things in your life, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now stop. Every single thing in your life, past, your experiences of sin in the past, your experiences of brokenness, who shaped your life as a child, present, who is pouring into your life, who is feeding you information that is forming you, and future, all things are working together for your good. Now, we like that verse a lot, amen? Yes, praise God. Even in my struggle, God's using it. For what? For my good. What is my good? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the good that God is working all things in your life together to do, to conform you, to change you into the image of God. Now maybe you've heard image of God before. That starts in Genesis and we're gonna back up the conversation and we're gonna go, if you know me, we're gonna go way back and we're gonna retell the story. But Jesus in his ministry, the last thing that, that Matthew recorded that he said before he ascended to the throne to rule all things, to have a plan of reconciling all things on earth to Jesus. Before he leaves, he says this, Matthew 28, we can look at it. He says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's reigning. He's been handed the keys, he's wearing the crown, he's ruling. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. No longer is the plan of God to come and see this nation that is reconciled to God, but now the call is to go to the nations. Go and what? Make disciples. The conversation is gonna be about discipleship today. It says, uh, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded, or teach them to obey all that I have commanded. 
Now, in the church, this conversation comes up fairly often. Uh, oh, you're a grace person. Oh, okay, well, I'm, a, I'm an obedience person. Oh, you're one of those obedience person? I believe in, in grace. And I want to try and, like, solve that tension today to say, in the Great Commission, there is no tension between grace and obedience. But you, I'm gonna, I want to help us see that obedience is his grace. So, if you know anything about my teaching style, you know I like a whiteboard. In fact, I don't have a, ma- a marker in my hand and it's making me feel a little bit awkward up here. And Tim said, you know what, I don't think Sunday morning is the place for a whiteboard. So Jeremy and I devised a plan and I just drew and I took pictures and I'm gonna put them up there. <laughs> so technically, I am observing all that Tim commanded me. I've just worked around it a little bit, and we're going to do some diagrams. So we are going to do some diagrams. The second thing you know about my teaching style is I'm always going to tell the story in some way of the Bible. And so let's do both of those. So backing up from that moment where Jesus is about to ascend, and he, and he commissions the church to go and make followers of Jesus, okay? I guess I should pause really quick. When Jesus said make disciples, don't you wonder, like we think of discipleship in a certain way that's been shaped by our church experience. Like what does it look like to, to be discipled? And a lot of churches will say, well, it's a one, one woman meeting with another woman for coffee and reading the Bible together. And another one will say, well, it's no one man meeting with one man, or no, it's a small group, or you have to go through these principles. And there's hundreds of different ways that we can talk about today discipleship. But what did Jesus think? Like, what was it in that context where he said, go and make disciples? When he said disciple, what was it in that context? Here's the ABCs of it. A student would be called to come follow a rabbi. A rabbi is just a word for a Hebrew teacher. A teacher calls out and says, come follow me. And that disciple, that student, leaves their old life behind and commits themselves for years to follow the teacher, to live life with the teacher. And there's ABCs of discipleship is this. They were to memorize the teacher's teachings. They were to memorize his teachings. They were to imitate his character, to kind of take on the person and the personality and the character of that rabbi. And then the third one is eventually to carry on that rabbi's ministry. So I'm going to become like, a spokesperson that is saying the same things that I've heard my rabbi saying, okay? So that's discipleship generally. Now, maybe you say, I'm in the church. I've never been discipled, okay? I don't want anyone in here today believing that they have never been discipled. All of you are being discipled. And discipleship works. It will transform you. The question is, who is discipling you? Who is giving you information teaching that is forming you into a character, a personality, and then you going into the world and carrying that message. Now, for my kids, it's really easy, right? I have a teenage daughter. I have an 11-year-old son, and I listen to the music that we play sometimes, and if I don't step in and talk about the music, the music is discipling my children, The music has a message. It's teaching them. You will find life. You will feel alive when you have a romantic relationship with the person you're most attracted to. 
This is the song I'm listening to. You'll feel alive. If you just have that, everything is going to be great. Right? And then it imit- they begin to imitate that character. Right? And then they begin to say things, and things come out of my kids where I go, where did they hear that? You know, for Tyler, it might be like, he sounds just like that YouTuber <laughs> he's still listening to. You guys are dude, dude Perfect. Anyone know Dude, dude Perfect? Man, I like Dude Perfect. They make trick shots, sports trick shots. It's totally changed the way my kids play, though. It's a little bit frustrating. They yell all the time. My kids, my, my, my nephews and my son are running through the house just yelling. Ah! My brother and I are looking at them like, why are they yelling? They're just yelling. And then I watch Dude Perfect, and they make a trick shot. And they just start running around screaming and yelling. Ah, and they're dancing. I'm like, ah. They're imitating what they're learning from. Now, someone last hour got upset at me. And I'm, I'm okay with you getting upset at me. And I prayed about whether I was going to say this next thing or not. And I'm going to say it. Because I feel like as a pastor, we need to be shepherded. We need to be corrected. Many of us, when you speak, you are not speaking the message of Jesus. You're speaking from your rabbi. Your fear and anxiety and hate and suspicion that comes out of us sometimes is not coming from Jesus. You are following somebody that is stirring up anxiety. Now, what am I talking about? Who are you learning from? Not just learning information, but information that is forming us. In our culture today, Many of our friends, many of our families, many of us here are being formed by our cable news, okay? And when I hear things that come out of our mouths, I go, that's not Jesus. That is someone that's been imitating the teachings and the character they've seen, and they're now carrying on that message, and it's mixed in with Jesus. So I say that on the front end to... Maybe it's a rebuke. But for all of us to say, when I look at the overall character of my life, is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? Now, can some people sit and take in all that information from cable news and become informed but still be formed into the likeness of peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control? Yes. Can my kids listen to that music and not be formed by it? Yes. But we have to put everything through a filter. Paul said, come follow me as I follow Jesus. We are following people. We need to make sure they're following Jesus. That what comes out of us is Jesus. And what's built up in us is Jesus. Amen? All right. So let's talk about the story. First diagram, if you've been to Launch Point, you've seen it. This is Shalom, okay? Now, uh, when I talk about the garden, I'm, I'm talking about the way that God created the world to be. Now apparently, Jeremy said it must have been humid in the garden because it's got some pit issues. 
when we talk about the garden, we're talking about how did God design humanity and the world to work? And there's really four dimensions to our humanity. Number one is our relationship with God. In the, in the beginning, God is speaking as a king. Creation is obeying, and he's created something very good on earth that works in a perfect harmony called shalom. It's rest, it's peace, it's working. And in this relationship with God, God is instructing us, and God is designing, and then our instruction that we receive is helping us to align with his design. And we are to imitate or be disciples of God. We imitate his character. And so what does that imitation look like in our relationships? So I'm going to imitate this relationship in this relationship. It's love. It's patience. It's kindness. It's gentleness. I am in this relationship to serve you, not to get from you or to steal from you. I'm here to bless you. Where do I receive love? I don't need your love. I need God's love. And now I don't need to steal from you or manipulate you. I can love you and serve you. This is shalom in our relationships. Can you imagine relationships where it's not, I'm going to serve, I prefer you. My kids are having a fight over the TV. Can we all just pray for this right now that my kids have this fight? Caitlin, I really want to watch what you want to watch. No, Tyler, no, 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 no. You, we want to, I want to, you, you watch what you want to watch. I'll watch what I want to watch later. Katie, I'm telling you, we're watching what, right, can they fight over that? Like that's a, that's a shalomish kind of fight right there. That's what we're designed for. And in our work, we, in the garden, we were supposed to make something great of this earth, to subdue it, to bring it into order, to bless and to bring flourishing. We go to work every day, and the function that we have in society is making the world better. And we're doing it as a reflection of who we see God as the creative, wise ruler, and now we are going to be his hands and feet as we go to work in our various callings. And the last one is this relationship with ourself. The Bible describes it as being naked and unashamed, but let's like put it in a modern language. It's to be totally known and vulnerable and to not be insecure. Can you imagine being motivated without fear and insecurity, without, without feeling like if you really knew me, you'd reject me? That fear where I have to hide and I have to cover myself? No fear, no insecurity, no pride and arrogance. This is shalom. This lasts, I don't know how many years, but in the Bible, it's two pages. Then, somebody has deceived humanity, and, and, and we've all been deceived, okay? Here's the deception. There are lies about God that he is not who he said he is, and he cannot deliver the shalom and the life that he says he can. There is a better life. This asterisk represents the key to a better life. What is that? Well, in the garden, it was the knowledge of, of good and evil. Like, it was, I get to wear the crown. I get to decide for myself what's good and evil. I get to decide what's right for myself. I get to take care of number one. I got to be self-autonomous. 
All the things that we say in our culture are good things, right, by the way. But maybe for some of us, it's vacations. Maybe it's security in a 401k. Maybe it's a healthy family. Maybe, it's a, maybe if you're single, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe if you're married, it's a spouse that doesn't complain. Right? There's this thing that if I only have this, and I struggled with this this week, with if I can nail this sermon, people will like me, and I will feel alive. And if I fail, people will know I'm an idiot. And I will feel death. And I struggled with that. And I'm going to give you kind of at the end of the sermon, the deliverance that I experienced last night, maybe 1 a.m., and this vision I had of Jesus. But now, if I look at this arrow that comes back to me, it's broken, okay? If I find life in my preaching and your acceptance of me, then I am a slave to it. I'm staying up all hours of night. I'm stressing. I'm sweating. Why? Because if I nail it, I'm going to feel alive. If I fail, I'm going to feel death. If you're single, if I just have a spouse, I will feel alive. Oh, she likes me. She's looking at me. Oh, she texted me. Oh, this is going good. I think she let, wait, she, I saw her out with another guy, and I feel death. So I'm going to do whatever I can to get her to like me because she represents the asterisks. She's going to bring me life. If my kids are just successful, I'll feel alive and validated as a parent. Therefore, what am I missing out on? What do I need him to get into? Do they need tutoring? Do they need a coach? Do they need this? Oh, no, he's falling behind, and I feel death, and I feel alive because he got citizenship award, whatever it is. <laughs> I might have been, like, totally exposed on all my idols right there. That asterisk can represent all sorts of things that will promise to bring me life. And the scriptures say life can be found in Jesus. Jesus said this thing in John 10, 10. Come, I will give you life and life abundantly. The premier life. This is Genesis 3. The world is broken. Everyone's a slave. It's broken our relationships. It's broken our vocations. It's broken our view of self. We're pride and arrogant and we're slaves to that which promises us life. Genesis 12, a promise is made to a man named Abram. And I'm going to kind of like summarize the Old Testament right now. God is going to bless Abram and his family Go back to the Shalom video. By bringing them into a special relationship with God, he's reconciling a people to God, and then he is going to form them to know how to treat one another, to know how to flourish their new promised land and make it prosper, and to be freed from the guilt and the burden and the slavery of idolatry. And he's going to set this nation up on a hill and say, that's what it looks like to live for Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the creator God of everything. So when they say that, you're saying, that's what it looks like to be human. He is going to bring the rehumanization of humanity and all people through forming Israel in this relationship. And he uses language like they're going to be a light to the nations. And the nations will long to come to the king 
to learn his ways so that they too can experience shalom and flourishing. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But those of you that have read your Bibles go, it didn't go so well because they chased after idols as well. And the story of Israel is a sad story of God pursuing in this relationship and Israel pursuing idolatry. Until this people that were called to be free and to belong to God are enslaved. First in Babylon, and then they come back home to their land and they're enslaved by Rome. And the Old Testament ends. Now, if we go back to Abraham's great-grandkids, right? There's 12 of them. He has 12. Don't ask me to name them. Maybe we could put our heads together and come up with all 12. But this great story happens where in, uh, in Abram, the people of Israel end up in Egypt. And it's, and it's a great story. And they're flourishing in Egypt. But then a new king comes in and is threatened by the numbers of Israelites there are. And so he enslaves them. Harsh brutal slavery for over 400 years. And the, and the Israelites are crying out to God, their God, for mercy. Have mercy on us. Pharaoh and his rule has been harsh. It is a heavy burden, and they cry out. Now, I'm going to give you the beats of what's called the Exodus, okay? The beats of the story. And I want you to remember this because it's going to be real important when we get into the New Testament. God's people are enslaved in Egypt. There is a king that is killing Hebrew children. But a baby is saved and spared from the death, the massacre, put in a boat, put down the river. This baby's name is Moses. Moses grows to be a man, and Moses is now sent by God to redeem Israel. Redemption, that's our name as a church is slave terminology, okay? A slave is set free through redemption. There is a price that is paid for that slave's life, and the slave is set free. That's what redemp- that's, our na- that's the name of our church. Moses goes and confronts Pharaoh and confronts the power, the greatest power on earth, and has redeemed God's people. Now, how did he do it? God sent plagues upon the nation. And with every plague, he made this empire weaker. But, but Pharaoh will not let go. It is a stronghold. He's keeping Israel's people. He's keeping God's people enslaved. Until, if you know the story, finally God's plan is this. The spirit of death is going to come through Egypt. And is going to take the firstborn child, the firstborn son of every family. Now, if, Hebrews, if you kill a spotless lamb and you take their blood and you put it over the doorpost and you take shelter in that house under the blood of the lamb when the spirit of death comes through Egypt it will pass over this is the Passover story that's still celebrated today and the spirit of death sure enough passes over And the Hebrew children are saved and the Egyptian children died, including Pharaoh's first son. And Pharaoh says, get out. Now, I wasn't there, obviously, and the scriptures don't give us this story. But there was over a half a million Hebrews. 
And, and God has just won. He's defeated the powers and he has ransomed them through the blood of the lamb. Now, I'm imagining that he didn't have a megaphone or a PA system to tell a half a million people, let's go. So there's a knock at your door. And the knock at the beastie house is something like, hey, God won, Pharaoh's defeated, let's go. Right? And all the beasties get up. And we go. And we're knocking on this door. Hey, God won through the blood of the lamb, Pharaoh said us go, let's go. And we go. And now we're moving together in the Exodus, half a million of us, and we pass through a threshold, the Red Sea. And this water represents we're leaving our old life behind of slavery. This old life we once lived, we're passing through this threshold into a new life and a new life with God, and God is with us. And in that new life, they go into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Moses goes up a mountain. And up a mountain, God speaks to Moses and gives them the law. Gives them a way to shape them into this. And down below, we know that they're worshiping. The 12 tribes are worshiping like Egyptians. Right? They're still Egyptians, but God is going to take them and put off their Egyptian life and put on the life with God. Okay, New Testament begins and Israel is back in slavery. And guess what they're calling for? Have mercy on us. Send us a Moses to redeem us. Send us redemption from this slavery Send us Messiah. Now here's how the New Testament starts. See, hopefully you guys are taking notes on the Passover. God's people are in slavery. There's a king killing babies. A baby is rescued by taking him to Egypt. That baby grows up and it becomes a man. And that man returns with a mission of redeeming God's people from the slavery to sin. And he goes through the threshold, the waters of baptism, into the wilderness where he confronts the greatest power on earth, Satan. And then he calls disciples. How many? Twelve. Significant number? If you were taking notes in the Passover, 12 tribes of Israel, there's a new 12. And then he goes up a mountain. What did Moses do up the mountain but receive the law that is going to shape the people? What does Jesus do on the mountain? It's the Sermon on the Mountain. It's his greatest sermon. And he says this, you've heard it said with Moses, this, I tell you, here's the deeper meaning of that. You've heard it said this, I tell you this. Do you see that when Jesus comes, this is the second exodus. The New Testament is about freedom. Second exodus. From what? The Romans? No. From sin. If you could put up um, Romans 6. In Romans 6, there's a string of verses, I think there's probably about five in a row, 
but I just put down a couple. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? If it's sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of what? Righteousness. Now, if we have those two, two diagrams, and we go, you can be a slave to the idol, and it will destroy your relationships, it will destroy your purpose on earth, and it will destroy your soul. It leads to death. That's what this is saying. You can be slaves to that. Or you can get a knock on the door, and it's Jesus. And he says, I'm the lamb. Take shelter under the blood of the lamb. You're saved. Now come on, let's go. And if we go with Jesus, if we respond to the call, come follow me, what are we doing? New life, a new transformation, abundant life in shalom. And we're slaves to a king that has promised restored relationships, restored identity, restored purpose on earth. Discipleship is this. We want to help you experience shalom. We want to help you answer the call. Come follow Jesus and be discipled by Jesus and let him transform you. Now, lots of churches have different ways of doing this. There's a hundred different discipleship programs. I'm going to give you one simple diagram. And if you've been through LaunchPoint, you can roll your eyes and be like, this is, I never want to hear this again. I've heard it too much. This is the highway. How do you get discipled? How does our church help you to experience life with Christ? We're moving you to life with Christ and shaping you into the image of Christ. Jesus will shape us. Now, he's given us these contexts. Give us the three up there. Sunday morning is a regular weekly rhythm where we learn from the scriptures. And we're, we can redirect our lives, be convicted of the sin that we don't see. We can be encouraged when we're downcast. And all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given are here in the room. This is everything we need for godliness. And when we come, we put ourselves in the context to be shaped by that moment. I was listening to you guys sing these songs and watching the lyrics. And everything I've said in this sermon feels like it was in one of those songs. When we sing with one another, we're making songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Glad melodies filling our hearts with gratefulness and changing us to be like Jesus. Every week we do that. Put yourself in the seats in the body of Christ to be formed weekly. RC. What is an RC? A redemption community is this. A people, a small group of people that gather with one purpose. King Jesus. I want to be discipled by him. I want to learn his teachings. I want to imitate his character. And I want to carry on his mission. That's what a disciple does. And we, we get in a small group, and for the last 20 years, Julie and I, we were told when we were 20 years old, Tom Schrader says, you should be in a small group. And we got in a small group, and we never left. We just assumed that's what you're supposed to do. And there has never been a day, a night, where I've gone home and gone, that small group was the most amazing thing I've ever been to, and my life has completely changed. I'm sorry. I know the Webbers were my small group leaders. I'm sorry. There was a lot of good nights. 
Just not epic. But 20 years of showing up and doing normal Bible study, praying for one another. When our marriage was in trouble, we had people to talk to. When I was struggling with idolatry in sports and coaching, I had people that confronted that. And through the normal life of a small group, a redemption community, gifts of encouragement, gifts of teaching, gifts of service, gifts of hospitality, gifts of evangelism are all at play in my life. And I can say through 20 years of that, God has reshaped me and brought a spiritual maturity in my life that was not there before. And the last one is serving. Now, I'm not going to tell you we've got a lot of chores to do at this church. Pick up something and serve. I'm going to say this. The king of all creation, Jesus Christ the Lord, all things were created for him, by him, through him, and he holds everything together. He is reigning. And when he came to earth, he said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And he washed feet and he said, I want you to do that. Take the low position and serve others. And it will restore shalom in our relationships. Get this. If my kids said, I love you and you can watch whatever show you want. And Tyler says, no, Caitlin, you watch whatever show. And they spent a lifetime of serving one another. Guess what would happen to that relationship? It would blossom, right? And so in every relationship with our life, we're asking you to serve including your relationship with your church. How do we become like Christ and carry out and be imitators of him without imitating service to one another? And so that's what it means to be on the highway. Now, if you're on the highway with the burgers, you know dad has to pull off and get a shake in Blythe, right? It's a kale shake. That's not true. Hey, starting January 1, it's a kale shake. (laughs) All right. We have to stop and get things along the way. Classes on parenting, on marriage, on finances, Life Collective where we come together and we talk about what does it look like to be at work and use the gospel and be shaped by the gospel in sport and every area of life. Conferences that are parenting, conferences that are marriage Uh, how to love, what does it look like to love like Jesus, women's ministry, men's breakfast, all of these things, we get off the road and we get them and they're gonna help us to move down this highway towards Christ-likeness. Pay attention to your bulletin. It can become something you grab just to, you know, shake hands and you put it in your Bible, don't look at it. Those are all rest stops. They're gonna help us to be shaped. Okay, the last one. How do I get on that highway? Starting point and launch point. Starting point is one hour, Jeremy's going to take you around the campus, tell you about our church that we love, tell you how the church functions, answers your questions. The second one is six weeks of hanging out with me and Jeremy. Sounds amazing. It is. And we do a small group, and we talk from the very beginning of what the Bible means, who Jesus is, and we disciple you in relationship that for the rest of your time at Redemption, you have pastors that you know. You have a relationship with people, and we can shepherd you and pastor you not as a name on a whiteboard, but as someone who we've spent six weeks with. How do you get involved in that? Go to the information desk, sign up for launch point if you have an or starting point, okay? They fill up fast. In four years, I think we've filled up every single one and we do five a year. It's incredible. We've taken like six or 700 of you through this. If you haven't done it, you're gonna wanna do it. If 
you're not a disciple of Jesus and you say, I heard the knock today, I heard about the blood of the lamb and I wanna follow Jesus and be his disciple. I'm gonna be right here. Don't come up and talk to me and say, hey, you did a good job, Brian. I have a few points, you, whatever, you know, correcting points before 11 o'clock. Send an email. If you wanna follow Jesus, come talk to me, okay? Let's pray. Father, in 2018, we pray your Holy Spirit would come and shape us. God, you are faithful to answer the prayers of your saints. We're begging you. Restore shalom in our relationships, in our work, in our identity. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves as your disciples to follow you. Please teach us, shape us, and send us for the sake of the world that can look on and experience Jesus through our hands and feet, from the neighbors that we love and the family that we love that don't know you. God, shape us and use us. We pray in 2018 in the Son's name, Jesus. Amen.